Why choose a Sleep Number Smart Bed? Because no two people sleep the same. Only the Sleep Number Smart Bed lets you each choose your individual firmness and comfort your Sleep Number setting. The Climate 360 Smart Bed is so smart, it actively cools or warms up to 13 degrees on either side for your ideal sleep temperature. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, plus free home delivery when you add an adjustable base. Ends Monday. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. To find a store near you, visit sleepnumber.com. and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. I have a doctor in psychology and am a licensed marriage and family therapist, a registered play therapist, university professor, writer, and mom of two. Each episode of the Parentologist Podcast focuses on a variety of topics related to parenting, family, children, and mental health. I'm glad you're here. On today's episode, we have Emily Calandrelli, who is an MIT engineer turned Emmy-nominated science TV host. She is the host and co-executive producer of Netflix Emily's Wonder Lab and executive producer and host of Fox's Exploration Outer Space. Emily is also the author of the STEM chapter series, Ada Lace Adventures, and her latest books, Reach for the Stars and Stay Curious and Keep Exploring, debut this spring and fall of 2022. Emily, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am just thrilled to talk to you, beyond thrilled. <laughs> um, I've been a fan for a long time. Um, I've been watching Emily's Wonder Lab on Netflix um, <laughs> on repeat with my <laughs> own kids um, for the longest time. And um, my daughter just started reading your Ada Lace um, chapter series books. And I, I don't know who's more thrilled that I'm talking to today, me or my daughter. We're both <laughs> ecstatic. Um to just get to know you a little bit better and um, share your love for science. Because I think education and learning science and making learning fun for kids is so important. And you've just nailed it on how to do that. So um, yeah, just thrilled to talk to you today. <laughs> oh, thank you. That makes me so happy. Yeah, of course. Um, all right, well, let's get started. I have a lot of questions for you, um, but let's start kind of maybe at the beginning. So you graduated from MIT, which is obviously one of the most top ranked academic institutions in the entire world. Um, you're probably one of the smartest people I've, I've, I've talked to. Oh, gosh, <laughs> <life>. no. <laughs> um, but were you always, you know, the smartest kid in your class growing up? You know, was science always kind of a favorite subject of yours? And, you know, if you want to share how old you were when you knew that you wanted to be an engineer and kind of go in this direction. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, no, I definitely <laughs> was not. Um, I remember when I was in like fifth grade or fourth grade, I took one of those aptitude tests to see if you could test into the, um, I forget what they called it at my school, but it was like the smart kids classroom. Sure. And I did not pass that test. Oh, and goodness. So, <laughs> and so I was not one of the smart kids growing up. I was, however, one of the hardest workers. I had, um, I, I think that I was always one of those kids who tried way too hard on the homework assignments and um, spent just a lot of time trying to get better at things. And so for me, I grew up in a college town. And so the smart kids at my high school um, were the ones who had parents who were professors at the local university. Um, and those were the kids who we probably all know them. They have all of the, the right resources. They right. have 
tutors, they have professional people who help them with their college applications. And I just, I didn't have any of those things. I am the first person in my family to pursue a degree in STEM. Um, most people in my family didn't go to college. Many in my extended family didn't graduate high school. And so for me, I came to engineering um, as a way to sort of find a good paying job. That's that's what enticed me about engineering. Sure. Um, I literally Googled all of the majors one could major in in college, and I looked at their starting salaries, and I Smart. found that engineers made a good that like a good living. And so sure. that is how I got into engineering to start out. But once I got there, I discovered all of these incredible opportunities that were free to students that were just like ad adventurous and wonderful. I got to travel the world because of STEM. I got to do all of these meaningful projects because of STEM, help others because of STEM. And so now I sort of, I have the story of reluctantly joining it, thinking it was going to be the worst four years of my life, but I was going to end up with a good job in the end. But then enthusiastically staying and now trying to share my love of these opportunities and this field with others. Wow. That's, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, um, so first off, I, I want to note that I did horrible on my SATs. <laughs> now, granted, <laughs> that's a little bit later than like the gate testing, you know, that you were kind of talking about. But the SATs, I bombed. I mean, I'm not even going to share my score. I still remember it because it's so traumatizing. But oh. I did horrible. But here I am all these years later and I have my doctorate in psychology, you know. Yeah. And I, you oh know. my gosh. Yeah. So, it's such a testament to like how standardized testing is not the best way to no. grade intelligence or success. Right. It's not the end all be all. And I just want to have that shout out to parents listening right now, you know, that are raising their own kids. And, you know, to me, obviously, as an educator, academics has always been a very prominent part of my life. You know, my my parents were always very adamant that I went to college and then I ended up getting my master's. Uh, my first master's is actually in TV broadcasting. And then I went into my second master's in marital and family therapy and then, of course, got my doctorate. So, I mean, I've been in school for over 11 years, you know, um, graduate school for over 11 years. And, um, you know, it, it's wow. been a huge priority, you know, um, but yeah, but like you said, the 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 aptitude tests and the standardized tests is not gonna, I, I personally think not necessarily going to make or break someone's uh, lifelong career or if they're exactly. going to you know, get a higher education. So just for all the parents listening out there, it's not, yes. not the I end mean, of the world. It, like I, in terms of my own life, like grit and perseverance have yes. played way more of a role. Like I am the scrappiest person that I know. My parents always talked about how when I didn't have anything to do, I would look under rocks for things to work on. And that skill is yes. the one that led to my success, not being able to take a test well. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. And even multiple choice tests, just throwing it out there. I'm not good at those either. I was great at every <laughs> test, but multiple choice. I always just, I thought too hard about my answers and then I end up, you know, messing up, but, um, but that's great. And the perseverance, the determination that, that gut, that gusto, um, gumption, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That, that's, and, and I personally feel that that way in my career. I mean, since I started my own you know, brand a couple years ago, that's really what's I feel gotten me to where I am now is just yeah. keep moving forward, having that 
growth mindset and just, you know, uh, just keep at it, you know, and and not giving up. And, and you are going to fail. You are going to have people that are going to reject you. You're going to try and do something and it's not going to work. And you just have to keep going. You know, you just have to pick yourself up and, and keep moving forward. And it sounds like that's something that you've really um, done in your life as well. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, obviously we talked about my, my daughter, you know, loving your show, loving your books, uh, and she really looks up to you, you know, um, and you're such a positive role model for, for young girls and boys all over the world. Um, what is it like to be a female in a dominated uh, male profession? Um, and what advice mm-hmm. do you have for girls, you know, trying to reach for the stars? Yeah, I mean, it, it, there, it comes with uh, a multitude of challenges that you'll face um, throughout your career. And each stage is a little bit different. Um, when I first got into engineering as a student, it was a little intimidating because you already know that you're quote, choosing like a hard major. Um, and when you walk into a room where there's 50 people and only two of them look like you, um, because the rest are boys, right? (laughs) then you feel like you might be in the wrong room. Right. And you don't really need any other intimidation other than the coursework itself to deter you from studying that field. And so you have to kind of overcome all of these expectations of what it's going to be like to go through college um, to be able to to do this. Um, And then when you're in your career itself, then things get a little bit more dicey because as we know, in so many different fields, it's a who you know business. And a lot of these businesses in in aerospace, but also in TV where I work now, um, it's an old boys network and opportunities flow through that network. And so you you have to be really smart about how you market yourself and um, how you just stay confident in your own abilities because you just have to keep pushing for what you want um, and not get deterred as easily as you, um, as maybe your male peers might, because you just keep being told no for some, uh, indeterminate reason. And usually that indeterminate reason is that they just feel more comfortable with the male in the role. Um, and so for me, the way that I've overcome a lot of these little hurdles is by developing a female network, developing my own old girls network. Uh, within each of these industries. And so you can share knowledge, you can share opportunities, you can share support, you can just vent really with these people who are some of the only people who understand what you're going through. And so that's my advice to the younger generation if they're trying to go into a male-dominated field where they're going to be a gender minority, like find your group of people who you can share experiences with, because that's going to be your support system that, that'll get you through it all. Yes, I love that. And I, I think that, you know, even in, in general, I mean, I'm a big networker and I, I love having a, you know, they say a mom tribe or a, you know, squad or whatever, mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you know, even just through motherhood, just having a network of people that you can just go to just to or a, a shoulder to cry on or to vent or just to maybe get some quick tips like, hey, this is what I'm going through. You're in the same life stage as me. You know, do you have any tips on how to do this with my kid? You know, yeah. um, just in general, I think that's just such great advice. And it's funny when you were talking, I haven't thought about this in years, but I was thinking when I first started off, when I graduated, um, I'm getting my, my master's in TV broadcasting. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, you know, watch football games. And I, I've always loved sports and especially college football was a big thing for me. 
And I remember there were so many professors that I had and even people in my classes that would say, ah, you're a girl. No one's going to take you seriously as a sports, you know, sportscaster. Like they only really, you know, only the men get the jobs type thing, you know. And yeah. this was 20 years ago, but still it was just, yeah, I haven't thought about that in a long time, but I thought, gosh, that really d- deterred me at the beginning. But then like you, I almost fought harder. I almost said, no, I'm going to prove to you that I'm going to yes. be like the best sports <laughs> caster of all time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, because you just, ha- I mean, to change the societal norms, there needs to be a first and then a second and then a third. And so why not you? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, speaking of reaching for the stars, I know that is the title of the, your new book that's coming out actually really soon, March 15th. Yeah. Um, so exciting. I can't wait to read it. Um, tell us what the book's about. Oh my gosh. So I am, I have not been probably this excited for any other book that I have worked on. Um, this one is just so meaningful to me because I wrote it a few months after my daughter was born. And as a first time mom, I had all of these like new emotions that were bubbling up. And I just, I could not figure out how to contain them. Um, I would, I was crying a lot just thinking about my daughter growing up. Oh, yeah. I would go into these, like these, uh, these spirals of just imagining her like getting older and leaving home and me thinking like, oh my gosh, she's going to, she's going to get gray and old and I'm not going to be here to see it. And that would just like cause me to go down a spiral. And so I was like, I need to start putting some words to these emotions and these feelings. And so I wrote this book. Um, it's, it's about like myself and my daughter, but I, the words themselves are universal to any caretaker child relationship. Sure. That was really important to me as I, I was writing it. Cause I didn't want this to be just about me and her. I wanted this to be a shared experience with any caretaker, any parent, any mom who has felt these same feelings for their child. And the book itself walks you through each stage of a child's life and talks about all the different things that they'll reach for figuratively and literally throughout those stages and all the things that as an adult, we can teach them um, Mm -hmm. as they grow older. And it's just, for me, it's just, it feels like it validates my feelings, first of all, as a mom um, to just, you know, it showcases all of those things that you're thinking of when you want your kid to be able to have the universe, to reach for the stars, to have everything in life. Um, and I'm hoping that it resonates with some of the other families and parents out there too. Oh, I'm sure it will. I'm sure I'll ball my eyes out when I read it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I also went through very similar, um, you know, postpartum emotions, you know, with my first and my second, um, just thinking, oh my, and they were basically a newborn. They were barely probably a week old. And I was just terrified of them getting older. And, and when that, when that thought yeah. creeps in, it, it, it really pulls on my heartstrings. So I'm sure it's going to be well received, obviously. And, um, so many parents out there and caregivers and moms are going to be able to, um, relate to it because I know I've been there for sure. And, you know, I'm sure we all, we all feel that, that, pulling that tugging on our hearts as our kids get older, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and the other <laughs> part of it is that I wanted this book because, I mean, as my daughter became older, I was reading all different types of books to her. And I found that the books that I enjoyed reading the most were the ones that 
kind of had a rhythm to them to that had a rhyme to them that were fun to read. Um, I mean, I think like we all love reading the Llama Llama books Yes. Um, for that reason. And so it, the other thing that you'll notice is throughout the book, it's a rhyme, like the whole book is, has a rhythm to it. So oh, I'm hoping that. that not only is it emotional and validating emotionally <laughs> uh, <laughs> to read, but that it is also fun to read for parents and adults. Yeah. And the kids will love it too, because they'll like the rhyme and they'll, you know, they'll be interested in the illustrations and, and all of that too. So yeah, exactly. very excited about that. Well, let's, let's talk about motherhood a little bit more. When we first saw you hosting Emily's Wonder Lab um, on Netflix, you were pregnant. <laughs> and oh, yes. now your daughter just um, turned two a few months ago, which is mm-hmm. amazing and incredible. Um, and now you're pregnant again with your second. So congratulations. It's incredible. I'm so excited for you. Um, but I know you're going to be sharing a lot in, in your new book, but tell us uh, what you love about me being a mom. What is What are the best parts about being a mom for you? Oh my gosh. I mean, I think being a mom teaches me more about myself. Um, I love practicing parenting um, it's the way that I look at it because, you know, I don't know that any of us know exactly what we're doing, but, nope. um, in, in any given scenario where like something comes up where there's a tantrum or a fall or, you know, a misunderstanding and miscommunication, I love to practice parenting. Um, and I, I think that that is one of my most favorite things that I'm learning about right now. Um, cause in my job with science communication, I get to, I'm very privileged to be able to learn about all different sorts of things um, about space and science and the universe. But my favorite thing to learn about is how to be a good parent. And so I love following, um, you know, various psychologists and and parenting um, experts on TikTok and social media who give various tips on how to do that. But I think just the learning of it all is my favorite part for sure. Yes. And and it's always changing. I mean, every time I feel like I've been in the stage with my kids, you know, you, you kind of master one part and then all of a sudden you're, well, even for myself. And so this maybe might be my, my first, my first parenting advice for you is that my daughter was parented very different than my mm. son only because their personalities are so different. <laughs> so oh, things yeah. that work with my daughter don't work with my son. So I almost had to kind of reteach myself the second time around because I thought my daughter is just um just a, a, such a different temperament and whatnot. And I thought, yeah. gosh, I'm a great parent the first time around. And the second time around, I thought, <laughs> oh, boy, I need to kind of like read some more stuff. And, Go back you know, to the books. Right. And, you know, even I'm supposed to be this parenting expert and, you know, do all the things. But it's easier to give the advice to other people for sure than do it yourselves. But when you're emotionally involved with your own child, um, you know, and each stage is so different and then each child is so different. So um, that's why I, I love what I do is because I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm able to, to give parents, you know, lots of different tools, because if the first tool doesn't work, they can go to the second or third tool and like just Mm. have as many in their toolbox as possible. Um, and even I learn new things as I go personally in my, with my own children. And then even just from other, you know, parents and, and whatnot, and, you know, things that maybe worked for them, um, because some things may not work for your child and you have to kind of go onto the next thing, um, to see what does stick. Um, and so yeah, learning and I think is, is such a huge part of motherhood and, 
um, we're always, always needing new tools. <laughs> yeah, I love that philosophy. And I am sure that I'm going to need all of the tools as yeah. <laughs> these kids get older. <laughs> For sure. Because once you have the toddler, the infant stage down, then the toddler stage, then you have the school age. And then all of a sudden it gets to like tween and teen. And then Oof. like, it, there, like there's so many stages. Like it, yeah. it, you can't even, you just have to take one, one day at a time, one step, exactly. one step at a time. Um, yep. So you're also the author of the chapter book series. We talked about Ada Lace Adventures, um, which I said my daughter is reading right now and is loving it. Um, tell us about that book series. I think you have three books out now for that series. Is that right? Now there are five books oh, out for five. that one now. Okay. Yeah. So add there's more to a, my Amazon list. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. That's um, That one is so much fun. So Ada is this third grader who loves science and adventure, and she goes on these different excursions to solve mysteries in her life. And she uses technology and gadgets that oftentimes she builds herself to solve them. Um, and it's this just, it's a really great tale of this female protagonist who is using science and tech to um, solve challenges in her life. And she's kind of this child that I wish that I was more like when I was a kid somebody who was willing to try and fail. Um, we talk a lot about uh, failure in the book because she'll try something and it won't work and she'll get maybe a little bit frustrated, but then she'll try again or she'll ask for help and she'll try again. Um, and the other, some, some of the other themes in the book, there's her best friend, Nina, um, is really smart from Ada in a different way. She's really creative and art artistic. And a lot of the problems that they solve together require both of them mm. to contribute. And so it, it teaches kids that you can be talented and smart in very different ways. And oftentimes it takes collaboration and it takes different types of skill sets and backgrounds to um, be able to solve a certain problem. So yeah, I, it's, it's for kids ages six to 10 um, and there's five books in the series now. Wow, that's amazing. I don't know how you find find time to do it. I mean, people ask me, how do you find time to do everything? And then I look at your life and I'm thinking, how does she find time to do all these things? Oh my goodness. It's, um, it's, it, I think when you live your life so publicly, uh, every single thing that you do um, is just shared with the masses. And so sure. it seems like a lot, but like a, the, a lot of these books came out back in 2017. Sure. So, you know, there's been some, some years in between to work on some other projects, which is nice. Yeah. Which, which I have one I want to ask you about. I was actually kind of scrolling through your Instagram the other day as I was preparing <laughs> for our talk. And, um, so, I'm, I'm probably completely going to be aging myself right now. But when I was younger, one of my favorite childhood movies was Space Camp. Um, mm -hmm. I was obsessed. I mean, I, I remember being at a cabin one time with my family on vacation. And I remember they had bunk beds in this cabin. And I remember I was on the top bunk. And I was pr pretending that I was in a space shuttle and I was like, you know, <laughs> pressing, pressing the ceiling with my fingers, like pretending I was doing all the buttons and, you know, all the things. And I just absolutely loved, loved that. And I can't find it anywhere. Like I literally cannot find it on any streaming platform or anything. So if you ever find one, please let me know. But, mm -hmm. um, but I, I want to ask you, what, what was it like working for NASA? I know you've done some work with NASA. And then I saw that there's something that you're calling Emily's Space Camp. Um, I want mm -hmm. you to tell us what it is and what what you're where you're in the process of it and what we can look forward to. 
Yeah. So I worked at NASA when I was in college. I did two different internships there. One, I worked at NASA Glenn in Ohio. Okay. Um, and I worked a little bit on a different type of uh, engine, like a, a, a thruster um, for rockets there. And then when I was a senior in college, I worked at NASA Ames in California. Um, and there I worked a little bit on nanoparticle research, but I also worked on um, a project having to uh, that related to their Phoenix lander, which at the time was looking to see if Mars had water um, wow. on its surface. And so I would say the one thing about working at NASA is that you work on these problems that feel so big and bold and exciting. And it's wild that we have people here that have the ability to work to answer the these big, bold questions like, is there water on Mars? Um, and that question is important for a number of reasons. One is because water is a primary ingredient for life in the universe. And so when we're looking for life in the universe, whether it be intelligent life or microbial life, like the type of life that you just see under a microscope, one of the things that scientists do is they follow the water. If you can find liquid water, then that's one of the um, big green flags for, hey, this might be suitable for life as we know it. And so we're really, really interested to see if, if Mars currently has liquid water or if it had liquid water in the past. And at the time, we didn't know either way. And so the Phoenix lander, which was on Mars at the time, was scooping up soil and it was getting clogged hmm. and they weren't really sure why. And so us as interns, we tried to recreate the same environment that they have on Mars. We had this Martian soil simulant, this like fake Martian soil that matched the chemistry of the soil on Mars. We uh, put it in uh, some sort of temperature gradients that uh, gave us like the same type of temperature that they had on Mars. We added the right type of salt concentration. Um, and then we we experimented with a little bit of water to see like would liquid water cause this to clump in the same way that we're seeing on the surface of Mars. And it turns out that it did. And so that was one of the signs that gave us um, some evidence that there was already liquid water underneath the surface of Mars. Um, and our, our team, our internship team worked to help answer that question or at least contributed to it in some way. Wow. Um, and so being able to do something like that as a, I don't know, 20 year old student, like that, that's what it's like to work at NASA. That's the kind of stuff that it, it just feels really, really cool. Wow. That, that is, <laughs> that is really cool. I mean, I, I think that's fascinating, you know, um, and what a contribution, you know, and I just, that's just amazing. Now, um, you know, like I said, I, I, had my master's degree in TV broadcasting and another lifelong goal of mine. I've been reaching some this year. I've been reaching for the stars myself. I'm trying to, but <laughs> I, I always am. I'm always pushing forward, but um, is to be a host of a show. Um, so mm -hmm. I am just so envious and just so excited about what you've accomplished and the shows that you're part of. And um, anyway, I just, one of my questions is because of course it'd be, be like a lifelong dream for myself, but um, you were um, nominated for an Emmy. Um, so I'm just curious what that was like. What is, what is that like to be nominated for an Emmy? Like what was going on in your, in your head when that was happening and just emotionally and, and mentally, um, what is that like? 
Oh my goodness. Well, for, so I've been nominated as a host. Um, and then more recently we were nominated as producers, um, for my show exploration outer space. And I remember when I got the call that I was nominated as a host, my manager called me, um, and told me the news. And he said something that I'll never forget. He was like, you will now forever be known as an Emmy nominated host. Mm. Um, that is just like a title that will follow you forever until yeah, sure. until one day, hopefully I'm an Emmy winning host. Absolutely. Um, but it, it was like, it, it, it came as such a surprise and it was such an honor. And I, the, the coolest thing was that I actually got to go to the Emmys. Um, this was pre-pandemic. And as someone who grew up as an engineer or like was an engineer for a while, um, going to a red carpet event was something that was very foreign to me. And I wasn't sure how it worked. I kind of just assumed that like there were people that would tell me what to wear and do my makeup and do my hair and make sure that I didn't embarrass myself on the red carpet in front of a lot of cameras. Right. And in, in fact, there were none. Oh, <laughs> there were no. there were no people that were there <laughs> to help me that you were on my uh, you were on your own. And so I rented a few dresses from Rent the Runway. And um, one of them didn't fit, so I wore the other one. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> and I just I, I looked on Yelp for someone to do hair and makeup, and th that's how I found my hair and makeup artist. And it was just it was such a cool experience because you're on the red carpet, you have all of these cameras like yelling at you, flashing lights at you, and I'm like, I have no idea how to stand or where to look. You guys seem to know who I am, and I feel like I am one step short of embarrassing myself. And so <laughs> I got through the red carpet very quickly. Um, and then, then you have this, like, what is, I hate to say it's not boring. It's certainly not a boring three hour show, but it is like, it is still a three hour show where they're just announcing winners while you sit in an auditorium right. um, seat with, you know, the, your coworkers and you just watch awards be given out for the next three hours. Um, so it, the red carpet part is definitely the most exciting. And then you sit down for three to four hours and watch a lot of really shiny awards be yeah. given out. <laughs> yeah. And you don't get the commercials when you're there live and at home, when exactly. you, you know, get up to go to the restroom or get a snack or whatever it is. And, but you're there and, you know, they just have that kind of a silent break in between, you know, commercial breaks. So, um, but still, I mean, what an exciting experience. What an accomplishment. Like you said, it's kind of a title that you're going to have now and until you, you know, get that actual Emmy in your hands, which I know is in your future. I mean, I just have this gut feeling that you are just beginning, you know, in all the things that you're going to be doing, um, which is very exciting. Yeah, um, I hope so. I, that That is the goal. That is the goal. I'd like to um, imagine that that is something that it's like it's a it's a fun goal to work toward. Absolutely. Sure. Well, speaking of that, um, I, I I want you to share a little bit um, before we leave today on some just kind of fun for everyone listening. You know, just some fun kind of quick, easy experiments, um, science experiments that parents can do at home with their kids. Um, but before we do that, just you know, speaking of that on um, that same theme, you know, what is your ultimate lifelong dream? I mean, do you would you ever want to travel to space or you know, what, what is, what is, where, where are we going from here? Where are you going to go? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, yes, I would love, love, love to travel to space. Um, and the beauty of that dream is that there are more and more ways to be able to do that now than ever before. We have 
um, Blue Origin, which is offering suborbital rides to space that we've seen people like William Shatner and Michael Strahan and um, Wally Funk and all of these really wonderful people um, travel to space through that company, you can buy a ticket with them now. So you don't have to train your entire life to be a professional astronaut and then work as a professional astronaut for a decade to be able to go to space. You can now purchase a ticket wow. um, to be able to get that same perspective. And so I am hopeful that one day um, I will be able to hitch a ride with a company like Blue Origin into space. So that that would be really something that's, that's really wonderful. I mean, I, I think for me, um, creatively, I want to do more of the same. I want to create more things like Emily's Wonder Lab that seem to have a really positive impact on kids and families. Um, and I also want to be able to leverage the platform that I'm building online, the social media platform to create positive change in the communities that I'm in. Um, I'm from West Virginia. And one of the things that I love doing is finding ways to leverage this new platform that I've found myself in to be able to bring some positive change back to my home state and back to the people of West Virginia. And so I, I, I kind of just want to keep doing that and finding more effective and efficient ways to do that. Oh, that sounds amazing. And and I'll, I, I know we, we went back to this a while ago, and then I feel like we got into a different topic, but Emily Space Camp, will you share a little more oh, about yes. that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Emily Space Camp is um, one of the first animated shows that I have ever worked on. Um, and it's all about, it's very similar to Emily's Wonder Lab in that the goal is to inspire kids to love science and to be curious. But because it's animated, we can do that in a much more, uh, I would say, uh, universal way. Sure. Because we can now travel the universe. Uh, um, yes. Rather than, you know, making solar ovens in our backyard, <laughs> we can go to the planet Venus and see why the greenhouse effect has rendered it such a hellscape. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that that type of animated show will just bring a different type of color to science education and make it larger than life and just make it really fun and exciting. And so right now, what the stage that we're at is that we've built out the characters, we've built out the general um, framework of the idea of the show, which is I have a space camp where there are camp counselors who are aliens that I've met through my universal travels. And there are kids who come to the space camp to learn different things. And sometimes the way to learn that thing that we are trying to learn is to get in our spaceship and go travel across the universe to a black hole and understand how a black hole actually works. Wow. Um, and so right now we're pitching it to various networks because the way that a TV show works is that you have a production company involved, which is the animated studio that we're working with. Um, and once you have that together, then you go out together to networks to pitch the story to, um, to them to see if they would want to buy it, to create it, to be able to live on their platform. So right now we are having lots of different conversations with lots of different companies. Um, and I'm hopeful that we find the right home for this to live. 
Wow. Well, I, I can't wait to watch it. Um, I know it'll get picked up. I just know it will. Um, and I'm excited to see how it actually comes to fruition. And um, there's so many great things. I mean, you're about to have a baby. You're going to have you know this new animated series. You have your books coming out. Um, just really excited about the things you know coming up for you. Um, but before we go today, um, you were speaking about harnessing the sun's energy to melt food. I know that's one of my favorite experiences mm-hmm. that you share. Um, I'm probably going to say it wrong, but making oblek. Is that how you say it? Oh, oblek. 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 Yeah. Um, But you've shared about that. I know you've shared on your on your Instagram, other um, experiments like there's a rainbow bubble experiment. I know you've made magnetic slime before where um, it it sticks and and whatnot. Um, But if you have any just quick um, and easy um, things you can share for the parents that are listening on how to make science fun at home with their kids. Um, what is kind of your, you know, one or two go-to experiments um, at, at home, maybe with, I don't know, someone like myself that may not have a ton of um, ingredients or different things that I would need. I know baking soda usually is a big one, but what are mm-hmm. some quick, easy ways that you can um, share with us today? Yeah. The two big hits that all families seem to love, and I'm starting to do them with my daughter who's getting old enough to actually enjoy them, um, are oobleck and rainbow bubbles. So oobleck I love because it's so accessible and so cheap and easy to make, and it keeps kids entertained for a very, very long time. My daughter played with it for a straight hour the other day. Oh, wow. Which in toddlerhood is a lifetime. Yes. <laughs> um, and so it's just cornstarch and water. You mix one part cornstarch to about a half to three-fourths part uh, water, and you can add some food coloring to make it colorful. And it's this special type of fluid called a non-Newtonian fluid, which kids love practicing um, the pronunciation of. I That's one of the things that came out of Emily's Wonder Lab is that kids keep talking about non-Newtonian fluids, um, which I think is adorable and I absolutely love. Um, but all it means is that sometimes it acts like a liquid and sometimes it acts like a solid. And we've all encountered non-Newtonian fluids without realizing it. Um, Ketchup is very hard to get out of the bottle because it is a non-Newtonian fluid. Um, When you have one of those glass bottles that you might find at a restaurant and there's like that certain type of place, the position you're supposed to hit it to be able to get the ketchup out of the bottle, what you're really doing is you're adding pressure to the liquid to make it act more like a liquid. Um, You're adding pressure to the ketchup to make it act more like a liquid. Because when you don't add pressure to ketchup, when you don't hit it, it acts like a solid, which is why it stays in the glass bottle. But when you hit it, when you shake it, when you move it, it starts acting more like a liquid. Um, Quicksand is a different type of non-Newtonian fluid. You know that if you ever find yourself in quicksand, you're not supposed to move. That's because when you move, when you add pressure, Mm. it acts like a liquid. And when you don't move, it acts like a solid. Um, which keeps you upright. And so oobleck is another way to experience this weird type of fluid called non-Newtonian fluid. When you hit it, it acts like a solid. When you don't uh, hit it, when you just let it run through your fingers, it acts like a liquid. Um, And then the second experiment that is really fun is just baking soda and vinegar and food coloring. And you just get a muffin tin and you put some baking soda in there. You add some food coloring either to the vinegar or you just add food coloring to the muffin tin. Um, And then you pour vinegar in and it creates this beautiful acid-based chemical reaction that creates carbon dioxide bubbles. And it is a very fun one to play outside if it's, uh, I mean, I live in California, so it's hard to know where it's getting warmer. Um, But when you are able to get outside when it gets warmer, 
um, this is a great one to do outside because it does get a little messy. Yeah. And that one is very fun. And I've even um, modified it to where we had those little like pipettes and we put yes. a little bit of the, of the, of the water. And then, um, and we mix the, I think we, well, how do I do it? I mix the the food coloring. I put the baking soda in, the, in a pan and then I mix the, the water with, um, the vinegar, I'm sorry, the food coloring with the vinegar and then mm-hmm. I take the pipette and then I put it in and then it kind of bubbles up and the kids love to like make little art designs with it and things. So that's a good way to do it indoors, but I want to do it where it's big. I want, I want the big kind of volcano, like, <laughs> um, yes. you know, kind of look to it. So, and my kids are dying to, to once it gets warm enough, I'm, you know, I'm in California too, but it's still not quite warm enough to do maybe it yet, but um, I want to, to bake something outside. I want to, to use, you know, the solar energy to actually, they, they either nachos or a s'more yes. or something. What do we need for that? Cause that's what I know I want to do next with my kids. Oh yeah. Those are so much fun because that feels like it's very hands-on. So you get a pizza box. So you have to force your family to, uh, <laughs> order pizza so that you can get a pizza box. This is so funny when I ever do like a science experiment, for a, like a video or whatever it is, I'm always like, oh, we need to order pizza tonight because I need the pizza box for tomorrow. That's and my funny. husband's already always like, yes, I love this. Science experiment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you get the pizza box, you put aluminum foil inside so that it reflects the sun's light like a mirror um, to bring it into the bottom of the box. You put black construction paper on the bottom of the box to soak up the most energy because we know that when we wear like dark colors outside that will make us hotter because that absorbs more of the sun's energy. Um, and then you can put s'mores on top of that black construction paper. Um, and you can put a glass bowl on top to create a greenhouse effect. Um, but yeah, if you, depending on how hot it is, you could leave it out from anywhere from just five minutes to 30 minutes and you'll get some ooey gooey s'mores or some very cheesy nachos. I love it. They cannot wait till it gets warmer to do it. It's kind of one of our top big things we want to do, you know, when that happens. So I love it. So there's three um, very quick, easy experiments for parents to do at home with their kids. Um, I'm always looking for more ideas because as you said, sometimes, you know, days can be long and kids have short attention Mm -hmm. spans and, you know, to make learning fun, to make it experiential, I think um, has gone a long way with my own kids and and I just, I, I love STEM learning and um, just can't wait to share more with them as they grow older. So we'll definitely be continuing to follow you and, you know, all of the experiments that you create. Um, where can others find you on, I know, and, and buy your books? I know on your website, I'm sure on Amazon, Instagram, but if you could share those real quick for anyone listening um, so they can get in touch with you and follow you as well. Yeah. So on every social media platform, I'm at the space gal. Um, so you can find me at the space gal on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I'm facebook.com slash the space gal. Um, and if you go to the space you can find links to find my books wherever books are sold. Wonderful. Well, Emily, thank you so much again for being here today. Um, just just so thrilled to talk to you. Um, and thank you for everything that you shared and just best wishes um, on your new baby and the new book coming out. It's going to be an exciting uh, spring for you. So thanks again for being here today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to have you back for more. Make sure to subscribe to the Parentologist podcast so you don't miss an episode and make sure to tell your friends. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911.